Welcome to another edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. This is a public affairs broadcast. We're airing on CMAC, Comcast 93, and AT&T 99. That's in the Fresno and Clovis area. We're on Talk Radio 1550 KXEX in the Central Valley of California. That's on the AM dial. We're also on podcasts. Spotify for podcasters or Anchor FM is where we originate on podcast. I'm your host, Sevag Tatiosian. Today we're recording out of my home studio. Usually we're at the CMAX studios, but our guest is in a different time zone, actually in a different part of the world. Let me introduce you to our guest, Miss Shayla Pylon. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So first and foremost, I, I, I've watched several of your interviews. Um, he's speaking about international law and some work you did at the UN. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, um, well, I'm Sheila. I'm born and raised in Montreal, Canada, uh, but I'm uh, ethnic Armenian of origin. And um, yeah, I spent my life in Montreal. Uh, I went to law school there. And when I was 27, I graduated and joined the UN uh, right away and spent the next 15 years just sort of bouncing here and there around the world, working on war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. And then three years ago, um, when the 2020 war hit uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, I felt very compelled to come and um, lend my skills and expertise here in the context of what had happened, especially the investigation of war crimes and seeking accountability. And I thought I would come here for just like a month or a few months, and I ended up never leaving. So I'm now a citizen of Armenia, and I live here full time. So you are a human rights and international law expert because you're very good, knowledgeable about the details of law and the UN. I want to ask you, like, how did you get into that field? Because a lot of people decide to go to law school because they make a lot of money, you know, they think it's this kind of, you know, flamboyant, this very like, you know, they watch it on TV. By the way, I went to law school, I got my law degree, I know exactly how, you know, you went, you go to law school, and, you know, you think, wow, you know, I can make a lot of money doing this. But you decided to go a different route. What was it about international law in the UN that attracted you? Yeah, I mean, if you want to make a lot of money, don't become a human rights lawyer. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and I definitely uh, didn't go to law school to do anything other than what I'm doing right now. And so I actually found it really weird, uh, A, that I even got in because it was a really good law school. I went to McGill. B, that, you know, I had to do all this other stuff like contracts and torts and whatever. And I and I really was like, this isn't what I want to do, but you have to do it. And I'm glad I did it. Um, really, it was my roots, um, ethnic Armenian descendant of genocide survivors. I studied psychology first um, because I really wanted to know like what makes people evil, uh, what makes them do bad things. Um, having heard the stories of what happened to my ancestors from a very young age, just being really aware of it. And then, and then I was like, okay, that's enough. I want to now figure out how to stop them from happening and, you know, punish people who, who do these terrible things to others. 
and so, yeah, I ended up, I got pretty lucky. Um, I was very persistent with, with my professors. And, uh, and then when I entered the UN, I was very, very persistent to say, this is where I need to be. And, um, and I'm very blessed that I got to play a big part in, in, um, you know, the Rwandan genocide, uh, the, the former Yugoslavia, the Cambodia tribunal, I worked there even in the DRC. So I've, I've had a, a role in, in these, you know, major conflicts and that, that, uh, not, not a bad role, a, a good role after the fact to, to seek accountability. And we're going to talk about that a little later on in the program, but I, you said something that's interesting. I cover a lot of, you know, stuff going on around the world and, for me, I went and I got my degree in criminology and law enforcement. And sometimes people ask me, you know, why that route? But I think it's what our ancestors went through. Like, uh, for me, I, I'll never forget the stories that my grandpa and grandparents told me about the genocide and just the injustices and the terrible things they saw along the way on their march. And I think that makes me want to go into the field of law enforcement, or I'm always watching for, you know, the wrongs, trying to correct the wrongs. Do you think that that kind of pushed you towards the direction you're in now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely not unique to us, but anybody who who has a strong sense of justice or injustice ingrained in them, you know, that is something we we grew up with. And and when I lived in Cambodia, they felt the same way. You know, it, it, although their 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 uh, what happened in Cambodia happened much closer in time, but the next generation does have that sense of like. So it's 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 a need. It's this fundamental kind of existential almost, you know, what are we doing here if we're going to live in a world that that lets people get away with this stuff? And and there's also timing. I was 14 when the Rwandan genocide happened and the, the Yugoslav wars were happening. And it was like a very it was it was shocking. I was aware of what was going on. I understood it. And to see the courts being created, it was very new. And I thought, I really want to be part of that. I really like wanted that for myself. You know, I'm so glad that you are the guest. Thank you for uh, being a guest on this program. And, and the reason why I really appreciated you accepting this invitation, you know, I've talked to former ambassadors, I've talked to many people, but you, we in our audience members, we have a lot of Southeast Asians and a lot of them from Cambodia, and we have a lot of Armenian Americans. And I feel like you have touched both those worlds. Talk about your work in Cambodia. You actually worked there, lived there, correct? I did. Yeah, I I feel like a, an honorary Cambodian. Um, yeah, I I spoke I just enough Khmer words to to be able to get around in a tuk tuk. But I lived there for four years. I worked um, at the appeals chamber of the extraordinary chambers in the courts of Cambodia. So the court that was set up by the UN together with the Cambodian government to try uh, those most responsible for crimes during the Khmer Rouge regime. And honestly, when I I, I didn't have any. Uh, connection or knowledge about uh, Cambodians or their, you know, I didn't have any um, interaction with them until I went to Cambodia. And it was just this chemistry that was so intense. I felt like we are 
so similar in so many ways you would you wouldn't even believe they have a very strong sense of hospitality they have a very strong sense of resilience you know uh, they have an ancient beautiful culture and it's been so uh it's suffered they suffered so much and they they still do and and i'm really really grateful that i was able to be part of the the justice uh, mechanism for them to come to some measure of you know closure uh but then there's this whole layer of of cambodian culture that that um it's just you have to go it's it's amazing there yeah not too far from where we're recording we have a a temple a cambodian temple oh really and and yeah it is it's 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 here and they have festivals where they invite the population to come and enjoy the food and enjoy the music. And I've worked with a lot of Southeast Asians, but I've worked with, I've had Cambodian friends. I have Cambodian friends. Can you talk about the hospitality of the Cambodian people? Because like, I feel like for me, it they're so welcoming and they're they so- were yeah. I mean, come into my house, uh, meet my family. Same, very similar, very generous, um, and and just very welcoming and warm. Always, you know, oh sister, and like I, I just I felt so. I lived in you know I lived in the Netherlands before that, um, and I didn't feel like I integrated as quickly uh or or felt as as sort of you know it's it's a much more individualistic society and stuff so uh, and and then when you think of cambodia i mean like in in the netherlands people speak english uh in they speak english in cambodia as well but it was the the culture the cultural difference seemed so much bigger but then it's this sort of feeling where you're like oh no we're actually the same you know they would go out of their way for for whatever I needed. And I, I really appreciate that. I made so many friends. I have a goddaughter that's Cambodian. Two actually. Oh my God. <laughs> Two. <laughs> if you ever come to Fresno, by the way, let's connect because I would love to take you to some of the, not only Armenian organizations and Armenian American organizations, but I feel like you would connect so easily with the Southeast Asian and the Cambodian population out here. I think you'd have fun out here. Definitely. I'd love to come out there. So you're, you're in Cambodia and what, what was your role there? So you get there, but you know, I know, you, you know, you, you met a lot of people and you had fun, but what was your role there? You, were you like gathering facts or what were you doing? No, no. Um, so the, this was case 002, uh, you know, during the, the Khmer Rouge regime, the, the big, uh, Brother number one was Pol Pot. Everyone knows Pol Pot as being, you know, the leader of this Khmer Rouge regime. Uh, he died uh, long before the court was created, but his uh, his like brother number two and like the, the next most responsible people were uh, being tried by this court. And what, by the time I got there, they their trial was over and I was there to assist the judges with the appeal. I was the sole legal officer at the time. So I was like running the appeals chamber, basically. Um, and it was it was a gargantuan task. Uh, but, you know, it's it was the the final stage of um, of uh, making sure that, you know, 
people who commit bad crimes get convicted. This was on appeal, so they they have an opportunity to contest uh, what the trial chamber had um, determined, and and so I was there to work on that. You are listening. It's, it's, it's like really technical, and you know, it's a very it's a like a huge document that comes out at the end. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, but it, it, it was a lot of work. It took years. You are listening to San Joaquin Spotlight. This is a public affairs broadcast. We're airing on CMAC, Comcast 93 and AT&T 99. That's in the Fresno and Clovis area. We're on talk radio 1550 KX EX in the central Valley of California. That's on the AM dial. We're also on podcast. Spotify for Podcasters, also known as Anchor FM. Our guest this week is international lawyer, human rights expert, Shayla Pailan. She is with us from Armenia, and that's why today we're recording out of my home studio because of the time difference. First of all, again, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So you get done with Cambodia at some point, and then Rwanda somehow gets on your radar. Talk about that a little bit. I actually started with Rwanda. So my first uh, posting was in Tanzania, where the court that was um, that was set up to try those most responsible for the Rwandan genocide at trial was there. Uh, and, then, and then I went to The Hague, uh, which was for the appeals chamber. Uh, and after Cambodia, I went back to The Hague. So th that court uh, dealt with both the Rwandan genocide and the crimes in the former Yugoslavia. Um, yeah, so this was mostly court-type court work. You know, I was a legal advisor to judges. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't accusing anyone. I wasn't defending anyone. I was sort of looking at all their arguments and submissions and um, helping the judges reach their decision uh, and and then writing their decisions for them, um, with them, rather. You, there are a lot of people, and as a matter of fact, this morning when I dropped off my kids at school, I was talking about the UN and international affairs with one of the other parents, and the parent told me, well, the UN, they don't do anything. It's a waste of taxpayer dollars. The UN, it doesn't have any teeth. Nobody gets prosecuted. But, you know... I smiled when he said that, knowing that, you know, what a coincidence, we're going to talk to each other and you're going to, you know, you've worked in different countries. What do you say when somebody makes those comments? Because I bet you, if I'm hearing that, and I'm no, if not affiliated at all with anything, you probably have heard that too. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, um, I'm even, <laughs> sometimes I say those things, you know, because I like, there is there are limits to what the UN can do. What we see, let's say, at the level of the UN Security Council is very, very disappointing. And the UN Security Council does have the responsibility, the exclusive authority and responsibility to maintain international peace and security, and it's failing at that. So there's something wrong there, but that doesn't mean that the entire UN doesn't work. I mean, the cases I worked on were successes. Like, in, I'm, I'm very happy that that those those uh courts were created and the jurisprudence and and the work that we did was great and it's not the only um example but there is also to like 
there are many uh, atrocities and cases that deserve the same kind of treatment and they fell through the cracks somehow. So there's something wrong there. And that's not necessarily uh, the UN's fault. I think people have to realize what the UN is. It's uh, it's a union of nations and it's nothing without the member states. So they make all the decisions and realpolitik does uh, affect very much what uh, the UN can do. But there's so much room for improvement. So I don't, I take the criticism, but I also say, imagine a world without it. Like we we have to, we have to agree that that would be, I don't know, in most cases worse. So before we go into our other topic of Armenia, where you are today, and by the way, we've covered this topic many times on the program uh, because there were there have been a lot of current information and current stuff coming out of Armenia and Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh. What you know? Did you ever like? Could you ever see yourself going to countries like Cambodia, Rwanda when you were in law school? I mean, like you say it so calmly, but those are pretty cool things. Like you went to foreign countries, you had to learn the culture, and you did advise them on international law. So like. When you were in law school, did you vision that, or or of did of course this... that was what I went for? I wanted it so badly, um, and and uh, yeah, I I I didn't want to be in a a law office in uh, I don't know, like even to this day, you know, my parents are like, when are you coming home? And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> home is boring. No, I love home, but it's you know, there's nothing. Canada doesn't need uh this kind of work so i you know i i think that um this is what i wanted to do but there are there my my last posting for armenia was in in the democratic republic of congo which is probably one of the most tragic uh tragically uh affected countries in the world The, the 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 horrors that they've that the people of Congo have gone through for far too long is immeasurable. Um, And there are limits to how long I think it's healthy for someone to stay in these kinds of environments all the time, all the time. But um, there are, you know, ways of maintaining your mental health when you have to get involved in situations like that. You know, growing up, we always said never again. And and I know you know what I'm talking about because we share the same never ancestry. Never again, but then and again. Yeah, yeah, we said never again. You know, as a kid, I would go with my parents and I have taken my kids to commemorations of the Armenian genocide. And we say never again. This will never happen again. It is happening again. And so how in your, this is a tough question. And if if anybody had the answer, there would be world peace. But what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing about these humanitarian crises caused by one dictator or a few people in power. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, that's a multi-layered question and I don't have a bullet answer, you know, but uh, one, one thing I have noticed uh that is very disturbing to me is that there's a, a, a serious regression and and the world is falling apart in a way that that is very very disturbing and i can't help but wonder if so there's this sort of 
mix of disinformation and propaganda that that you know perpetrators of that get away with because citizens are not being careful with the information they consume and are becoming more and more apathetic so there is a you know the the, the the perpetrators of these crimes are usually autocratic dictatorial like you know uh just <laughs> bad bad people <laughs> and the main reason that they get away with this is because they're not being held to account and a lot of people think well it's up to those in power to hold others to account but i think there's so much power in the people that we're not harnessing and using and i'm not you know i'm just saying there's there's an untapped energy there that that uh we each individually and as a community as a global international community are responsible for. So don't just focus, for example, on the Armenian calamity, which is a huge one at the moment, but help others as well. Like in Myanmar, what's going on in Gaza, what's going on, we are supposed to pay attention to each other, even if it's a lot at the moment. We are running out of time. I mean, I could talk to you for hours and I will invite you back to talk about the other stuff. But, you know, we've covered on this program with former ambassadors another international uh, lawyer, the situation in Armenia and Artsakh, and what Aliyev, the dictator, who, by the way, his wife is vice president, got power from the dad. I mean, these are all the markings of a, a dictator, which I, I can't believe people don't see. Do you think that Aliyev will ever be charged criminally? Again, tough question. I know I'm putting you on the spot with some very hard questions, but like inside of my heart, I feel like it's going to happen. And I don't know if that's me just wishful thinking, just like the never again, but it happened again. But do you think Aliyev will ever be held accountable for what he just did? Yeah, I think it's very possible. And that's what I'm focusing on, among others. So it's only possible if you give it your best shot. And if you stay the course, yeah, there's nothing barring that from happening. And so I I maintain hope and I actually maintain an expectation that in my lifetime, I will see him sitting in that box getting tried. More power to you. If you need anything from us in the media or us in Fresno, you know, would love to have you here in Fresno one day to talk about what you've been working on to, to meet some of the different organizations. Cause I feel like you would connect real well Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Thanks program. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to San Joaquin Spotlight, a public affairs broadcast airing on CMAC, Comcast 93, and AT&T 99 in the Fresno and Clovis area. We're on talk radio, 1550 KX, EX on the AM dial, and we're on Spotify for pad podcasters under San Joaquin Spotlight. I was your host, Sevag Tatiosian, and our guest again, Shayla Pylon. She is an international lawyer, international rights expert, very unique career, work, did some work in Cambodia, did some work in Rwanda, is in Armenia now. Again, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for being a guest with us, and I look forward to seeing you in Fresno one day. If not, I'll see you in Armenia one day. Perfect. Great. Thank you. Tune in next week to a new edition.
This program was made possible in part by FaceLogic Essential Skin Care and Spa in Clovis. I'm Sevag Tatiosian with Talk Radio 1550, KXEX, and CMAC Fresno and Clovis. And this is your Armenian news update. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbach was in Armenia on an official visit. The Foreign Minister met with her Armenian counterparts and visited Armenian cities who have taken in refugees from Nagorno-Karabakh. Baerbach also visited the border with Azerbaijan. Germany has been a vocal critic of Azerbaijan and the Aliyev regime for their actions against the ethnic Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh. The last bus carrying ethnic Armenians from the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh has left the area. Azerbaijan carried out a lightning offensive on September 19th that led to nearly 120,000 people fleeing. It has been reported that 30,000 of those who fled were children. Armenia is looking to develop closer relations with France, this following France's commitment to supply the country with military weapons for defensive purposes. France is following India in sending Armenia weapons to modernize their military. Greece has sent humanitarian supplies to Armenia to help the country with refugees from Nagorno-Karabakh. Four tons of goods were delivered from Greece to Armenia. The Limkin Institute for Genocide Prevention has issued a red flag warning for Azerbaijan in Armenia. The institute is concerned about Azerbaijan and comments made regarding taking a transportation corridor through Armenia's southern border. Watertown High School's Armenian Club has raised $1,200 from a bake sale to support the Armenian Relief Society. The ARS helps provide humanitarian and educational opportunities to Armenians and non-Armenians. Canada and allies are discussing sanctions against Azerbaijan for their military offensive on Nagorno-Karabakh. No mention yet on countries in favor or against the request, but many countries are looking into this. This year marks the 20th anniversary of a partnership between the Kansas National Guard and the Republic of Armenia. The partnership includes cooperating on military-to-military, military-to-civilian, and civilian-to-civilian events. I'm Sevag Tatiosian of Talk Radio 1550, KXEX, and CMAC Fresno and Clovis, and this was your Armenian News Update.